This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American waterfowl. Hello and welcome to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast. My name is Elliot and today I am joined by a friend, Chase McCullough. Am I saying that right? You got it. McCullough. 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 I, the first time I remember Chase. Now Chase is fellow teacher, fellow YouTuber, and we have been communicating since probably 2016. Probably, probably one of your first seasons. Right, because what I way I remember you is that you were watching my early, early episodes, and you commented quite a bit. And then I remember you saying, "You know what? I think I'm gonna make a, I'm gonna start making a channel and start posting yeah. videos." And you started asking me some questions about it and everything, and and we've yep. been in contact about this and that ever since. We've never met in person. We almost we tried to. You came through last year and it almost worked out. Yeah, we froze. Uh, I don't on remember it. what I was doing. We froze out in Nebraska, and you had your buddy from out of town, and I think it was late, late season. Really. Is that what it was? I knew there was some conflict to it, but but we've been, um, you know, familiar with each other and, and communicated back and forth since since that time. And and Chase does a lot of his hunting up on the Upper Mississippi, which is uh, is that what you refer to it, the Upper Mississippi? Yeah, that's what it's called. It's like the official name of it, yep. right? And but, it's a, it's a place my parents uh, summered at several times. I've never been up there. It is definitely on my bucket list of places to go. So things we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about the Upper Mississippi because anytime I I'm I'm just really curious in that area about that area. We're going to talk about Chase's season and how it's opened. We're going to talk quite a bit about um, the tragedy of his father's passing, which touches close to my heart because I was talking to Chase about this. Before we got on, out of all of like the YouTube content creators, his channel and my channel 
feature that relationship between father and son. And so there's a good connection there. My dad is now 79 <clears throat> and still able to get out there and hunt. He's having a great year. I don't know if you've seen the videos. My dad's having a great year. He's, he's crushing them. He's averaging four and a half ducks a hunt. He's shooting percentages like in the sixties. He's, he's loving it. I think he's feeling like he's 25 again, but um, we're going to talk about all those topics and, and maybe some other stuff that we spin off into and a product that he's come out with that I've been using that I really, really like the product a lot. So how's everything going tonight, Chase? It's going good. It's going good. Just finished up school a little while ago and figured I'd uh, get on a podcast here with you. We've kind yeah. of procrastinated a few times, but that's okay. Well, that was my fault. I mean, I, I have bit off more than I can chew because now I've got two podcasts. I'm running the Flatlander Kennels podcast and YouTube channel. So two podcasts, two YouTube channels. Um, I've got the Patreon thing. I've got the freelance or now it's not freelance hunt stats anymore. North American waterfowler app, which is dealing with the developers and my regular, the job that actually makes money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> teaching job. So well, I'm a little busy. I am a little bit busy, man. And then hunting, of course. You, you canceled one of the times and I was like, oh, thank God I had to cancel too. Cause I, <laughs> I wasn't going to be able to make it, but you just happened to text me first. And I think last week you actually reminded me that I had a podcast with you. Yeah. But then you're like, hey, can we push it off? I'm like, yep, of course, not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The date has stayed pretty solid. I've been trying to kind of get ahead of things. Yeah. But then I I was like, man, because Josh Outdoor Limits, which this one podcast that came out um the day here we're recording, which would have been a week ago, he's done this whole thing with the dove fields. And I'm like, why have I not had him on? I forgot to deliver I've got to release that to where it's still relevant for dove season. Yeah. So I'm like, that's got to get in there. I listened to part of that this morning on the way to work. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. I felt like that Josh in that podcast um, was really personal, really relatable. Um, I loved hearing him talk about Cora because I know that that has been a huge challenge for him um, and a, a really difficult challenge in his life dealing with that dog. And now he has won the battle and he's got the dog in a great place. And I loved hearing that story and him tell it. Yeah, I didn't hear that whole story yet, but just watching it on the YouTube channel, I was always appreciative of his. Like, he never rushed the dog. I thought that was really good, even though everyone's like, just get the dog out there and hunt. Um, I thought he yeah. just did a good, nice nice job working through all those struggles that he had with that dog at the beginning. And he showed all the failures along the way, which I talked about on the yeah. podcast. It's like he was as transparent through that as uh, probably more transparent than he should have been. He uh, he took so much abuse from people. On, and it, it doesn't bother him. He's He's got thick skin. Yeah, uh, about that. But sure. it, anyway, it was a cool podcast. So, yeah. what? Let's start off by. Can you just give me? And I don't know this at all. We have never really sat down and just chatted like this. We right. faced that. So I've got we a did lot a of duck questions. Gun once or twice, I want to say a duck on podcast. Yeah, that's right. Okay, I had Way forgotten back that. In the day I did one with maybe I don't know if you were on it at that point. It's like the third or fourth episode on Duck Gun. Uh, yeah, I think I was on episode five. It was, so maybe it was close I, to then, probably. Yeah, it's like five, seven, eleven, and then twelve through two hundred and fifty-three, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Jordan's still going strong. He's still kicking out some some really great content over there on the Duck Gun Podcast. We're still, and we still like, communicate all the time. His live podcast, I really like listening to those. Me too. That last one, you could hear the the sound of nature in the background, and that was a really, really yep. cool cool podcast. I I. So Friday, and I don't know how much I'm going to talk about this when I recap this hunt, but I got into the marsh and I don't like giving times, but I got into the marsh like at 1030 at night because we knew there was going to be so many it's people. The opener. 
Yeah, for the opener. opener. Yeah, that's the only time I will do that. And my dad was there, and I and it was me and my dad and Aiden and one of the guy named Jeremy. And I'm like, listen, we know these are going to fill up. I'm just going to go in there. I'm going to take a cot. I'm going to take a sleeping bag. I'm going to sleep in the boat. But then when I got in there, we had to take the B spot. And there's a point to this story. I'll get to it. (laughs) I had to take the B spot. And once I walked into the B spot, Cause I had boated up into the channel, got out of the boat, crossed over to this pool and I got in the pool. I'm like, I can't sleep in the boat because I know people can walk in from this way and this way. If I sleep in the boat, I can't hold it down. Why am I even here? Yeah. And so this was about a calf, calf deep, maybe more like between calf and ankle deep marsh. And I pulled my, I bring my dad out this really comfortable chair. It like, so thank God I had this chair. I brought Georgie's dog stand. I brought this comfortable chair and I sat it right in the middle of this marsh, sat in this chair, put my feet up on her stand and just turned my light off. And I'm like, this would be the coolest podcast location because I'm all by myself from like 1030, eight and my dad showed up at four. There's literally ducks landing throughout the night in this hole. Oh my God. I just hear him come over my hair and I'd hear plop and Georgie would jump up and she'd be all at attention and everything. I bet you 25, it was always singles, but I bet you 25 singles landed within like, I could have shot my limit. If, I mean, <laughs> you just <laughs> hear the ring of wood. Yeah. yeah. You'd hear the rush of wings and you hear plop, plop. Oh. And that I was thinking about Jordan's podcast and I'm like, man, this would be the coolest podcast spot right here. Sitting here by myself in this, in this banded chair with my feet up on my dogs, on my dog stand all night long just sitting here in the middle of nowhere but so you know what we use you know what chairs we use what's that um when we have to get there early for like the opener like uh-huh. the keel opener we got there at like seven at night scouted uh-huh. that was probably yeah six thirty seven. scouted we had our spot pretty much dialed in but um those gravity chairs you know the gravity chairs i know the gravity blinds no so they're know. like uh they're just normal like chairs you'd see like on a patio and they mm-hmm. recline Mm-hmm. They're like a mesh, you know? They're yeah. like fold back. I don't know how to explain them any other okay. way. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, kinda, you could probably sleep in those pretty easily. Oh, they're so comfortable. Yeah, and you're like up off the ground a little bit. You probably could have yeah. slept in the marsh, but yeah. Well, this chair, it's comfortable to sit in, but it does not recline at all. So That's what's really nice about the gravity chairs is you can lean back almost flat. And if you put it on a little hill, then it feels like you're flat because you're kind of, your feet are a little Right, high. yeah. They're pretty good. I, w- I wish I would have had one as I put the dog stand at my feet and I like scooted to where my butt was like just hanging in midair and my legs were on the stand. Yeah. And then I kind of put, tried to put my head on the armrest. It was the most uncomfortable thing in the world. And with teaching, I'm always like, uh, the older I get, I, if, if I didn't have to teach on Monday, I would do that and just enjoy it. But I'm feeling like frantic because I know what Monday is going to feel like if I get zero hours. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be fine, but Monday and Tuesday are just going to suck. Absolutely shot. Yeah. 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 And then, and that, because teaching takes so much out of you, you know, just energy wise. And so I start getting, I, I, not like hardcore anxiety, but like nervousness. I'm thinking about Monday and I, it really disappointed because that atmosphere I was in was so cool and I really didn't get to enjoy it yeah. because it's like, I've got to at least get two, three hours. I've got to at least get two, three hours here. <laughs> That's, and then you can't get those two or three hours. And then you're always afraid someone's going to sneak in on you. Right. Like, yeah. What if, so we always just leave a light on. Like I'll leave a light stuck right in the hole. We'll go yeah. hang on where we're going to sit. And then we'll hang on like on a, on a dike if we're sitting on a dike or something. Yeah. 
I tried to I tried to hang a light in there, but it didn't work right. It wasn't shine right. But I hallucinated a couple different times uh, <laughs> when and I was totally sober. I didn't take any any no alcohol, no nothing in there. I'm not a big drinker anyway. But um, so there was one light, a fixed light that I don't know it was a farmhouse or whatever. It had to be like a mile and a half, two miles away, but it was a pretty bright <laughs> light. Twice I kind of woke up and looked and saw that light, and in my mind I could have swore it was a guy standing forty yards away from me. With his headlamp, with a, I even saw he even had a walking stick. Oh man. And I was like, oh my God. Uh, and I started to like freak out. I stood up and I'm like, oh, that's that same farmhouse light I've seen a thousand times. It happened twice to me where I, it's the same <laughs> light <laughs> got me twice in a row. <laughs> You're very paranoid about someone stealing your spot. That's for sure. Yeah, no doubt. So I have this bad habit of, I, I get, I'm really trying to calm down about this. If I'm walking <laughs> into a spot, and I see a light off in the distance. Oh, you got I'm, like, I'm sure that it's someone else. Oh, I got you. I got you. Got you. And there's been, there was one time I was with my dad that I was so sure it was someone else. Like I dropped my stuff, kind of started running. And when we were in the woods, got there, realized it was just like a farmhouse and then couldn't find my stuff in the woods. Oh no. And so I was talking to my dad. I tell my dad, I'm like, listen, I have got to conquer this. So the next time we went out, same thing happened. I see a light. I'm damn sure it's someone coming to see my spot. I forced myself to calm down and not run up there. And it was someone they went and stole my oh. spot. <laughs> That's funny. You said you, uh, you dropped your stuff in the marsh. This has nothing to do with waterfall. It's more of a bow hunting story. Yeah. Uh, one time my uncle was coming out, out of the woods and he had to adjust his tree stand on his pack. He was hunting some public land. He had to pack in mm -hmm. a stand. He was holding his bow. And he said he remembered stopping and he adjusted his, his, his tree stand, but he set his bow down. Well, then he walked out the rest of the way in the dark. And he got to the truck and realized he left his bowl in the woods somewhere in the dark. Oh, good luck. And he was like, he was like, I don't, I don't know where it was, whatever. So we went to the restaurant afterwards and we're kind of eating dinner. And this is like right about when like Google uh, maps was out, you know, and you mm -hmm. can look at satellite views and things yep. like that. Yep. And I was like, wait a second. He said, he said, I was standing on like some concrete thing. I was like, oh really? Let me see if I can pull it up. Cause I kind of knew the general area he was sitting, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I pull out the Google Maps and I zoom in. I'm like, sure enough, there's a foundation of a house like 600 yards deep in the woods, just where he happened to stop to set his bow down. And I'm like, do you think it's right here? He's like, it could be. So we walk back out in the woods about 600, 800 yards. And sure enough, his bow is sitting there on the concrete. Oh, my so gosh. Against one of the, uh, like a tree. Uh, it, was, it was in the concrete. <laughs> he was like, wait, what is that app? He, he did, had no idea what Google, like, you know, yeah. satellite imagery was or anything. Right. It right. was the coolest thing I've ever seen. So it was, it's pretty funny losing your stuff in the, in the woods story. Yeah. I've got another, and this is a great time to talk about Onyx because uh, I've got two different pre Onyx stories that just tells how horrible it was in the walking in the dark before Onyx. So this one, I, I have terrible directions in the dark. Like I can, I've literally walked a complete circle before over oh. about like a quarter mile and ended it's up easy. in the same spot. Easy because to do. Yeah. yeah, especially in the woods because you can't see lights you, and you have to avoid trees. So you sidestep a couple trees to the left and you you could be going west and you think you're going north. Yeah. And so I was portaging in with my little with my little um at that time it was a puddler Karsten's layout boat. And I and I had to like do a couple portages where I went through creeks, dragged the boat up, and I I got up and I knew I was about fifty yards from this pool. And so I start dragging the boat. Well, this was like oval shaped, the pool and the woods like oval shaped. And so instead of crossing through the woods, I got sidetracked and I was going perpendicular to the, to the marsh. So it was just like 
forever woods. I was like, I know this is only 50 yard walk and I've been going like 100 yards. How could I not have hit water? Well, I just, I was going uh, south and I thought I was going east and I was just walking in the woods. So I got so stressed out by it. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to leave my boat here. I'm going to find water and then I'm going to come back and find my boat. Well, I, I did that and I found water pretty quickly, but then I just could not find my boat. I could not backtrack in the dark and find my boat and sun starting to come up. It took me about 20, 25 minutes of just wandering around in the dark until I stumbled on my boat. So I, I liked it also as that guy, I lost my boat in the woods one time. <laughs> That's a good one. But oh. on X, I mean, I had someone contact me recently about on X. Like, um, you know, I don't know why you'd want X when there's other free stuff out there that does the same thing. I'm like, no, there's not. There's nothing out there free that does all of what on X does. I mean, you could no. look at a Google map or whatever, which but is how we do it before, you know, before Onyx. So, so in the dark, I when I when I scout a place and I think I might be going in there dark, I'm scouting the daylight. I hit the tracker, yeah, and and go, and then that tr that tracker is always there. So when I try to go in the dark, now all I have to do is follow it's the tracker, track. boom. Mm -hmm. And if you drop something, you've got the tracker there. Yeah. All that stuff for guys that that were that uh, never walked through the woods in the dark without like a satellite image game changer it makes it much Absolutely. less scary and intimidating yep. you really can't get lost unless you lose signal but even then you have your map to still help you get out because you can download it if you really need to you know right yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah, we use it a lot for our tracks like in marshes where there's a certain cut through cattails yeah we can just hit it in the dark you don't even have to you just be looking at your on x you don't have to be looking where you're driving just follow your on x line and you get right into the spot where you need to be yeah, that's my favorite part of it is in the dark. Like this past weekend, I, I would park the boat up against the bank, but there's huge cattail line you got to cut through. Once you cut through that and go into a marsh, going back and finding exactly where that boat is there, you can be 20, 30 yards off either direction, have no idea where it's at. Right. It's very, very difficult in the dark. Yep. And once you pin it, once you track it, it just, I can't, it's I just, easier. but at the same time, I, cause I was like you, I was using Google imagery before. And so, I had the advantage that I was using Google imagery, but even in the woods, I, I would have to do compass readings and I would have my compass out and I just remember watch you it to make sure that I was going the same direction all the time. Yeah. It was just a pain. So yeah. Google use on X everyone. Use, use on X. Back in the day for bow hunting stuff. And mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so tell us about um, kind of how you got into hunting what what is your hunting background? I know you're a big bow hunter. Used to. I don't really bow hunt much anymore, to be honest. Okay. Well, I know I've seen quite a few. You I used, used to, to play, be put it out like shorts and and bow hunting content. Yeah. Um, oh, I still shoot a lot of archery. So in the summers, I shoot 3D. I shoot some target archery in the winter, spots and dots and things like that. Kind of mm -hmm. uh, kind of like this stuff over here. I don't know if you're not on the podcast, but I shoot yeah. a lot of dots and target archery mm -hmm. in the off season. That's like my off season hobby. Since I had kids, I kind of gave up bow hunting and waterfall hunting. Too and much, I also right? became addicted to waterfall hunting. So that, <laughs> yeah. you know. Waterfall hunting has killed a lot of other passions. For me, yeah. it was the upland game. Yeah. Waterfowl yeah. killed my upland game career. <laughs> yeah. But I, anyways, I started um, hunting when I was 10, 11. I remember shooting my first dove at one of my friend's farms. Um, it, was, it was with a BB gun. And it was up in the silo. It might have been a pigeon. I think it was a pigeon, actually. It wasn't a dove. Anyways, it was up in the barn. I remember shooting it. And 
I remember shooting a chipmunk with my bow when I was like 10 or 11, like 20 <laughs> yards. It ran in front of my target. I'm like, oh, I'm going to try to shoot it. I'll show you hitting this chipmunk, you know. I feel, Do you have I any, felt any remorse? Did you feel, feel bad? bad? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but at that time, I didn't really feel that bad because I was like just about to start bow hunting and stuff. Um, but I really started getting into like archery stuff with my grandpa. Mm-hmm. Um, he he was a big bow hunter. He was also a big duck hunter. But as he got a little bit older, he did a little less duck hunting, a little more bow hunting. And that was when I was around like 10, 11, 12. So he bought me a bow. I shot with him all the time. He would take me to 3D shoots. He took me bow hunting when I was 12, 13, 14 before high school. Um, and then we, I kind of didn't get out of bow hunting in high school. I just kind of gun hunted through high school mm-hmm. because you get busy with football and stuff. I played football in high school. So what position we were, did you play in high was school? A quarterback. We were in the option. Oh, nice. Yeah. I went to Oak Creek high school in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. We were really, we were actually really stacked. We had a really good team. We were ranked top 25 in the nation. And, and you were the quarterback. Yeah, I was quarterback. I'm only five, eight, so I'm not very tall, but um, we had some good running backs and it was an option offense. So we ran a lot of triple option. Um, wow. That's cool. We had some big linemen. I mean, it was, it was a fun time. I think we lost like two games and they were both in the playoffs when I, went to school there. My, my one year we lost in the first round and we were, we were legit stacked and we just got, we just choked. I mean, we gave oh, up like 30 man. points all year as a defense. Mm. We lost like 42 to 35 or something like that. Did you um, play both ways back then? No, we had such a big squad that our coach wouldn't let me play both ways. Mm-hmm. So I played a little bit of DB, but I was on the varsity as a freshman, um, as a, as just like the, uh, they called me up as a freshman to like, you know, play football. Mm-hmm. And, and watch and get picked on by all the seniors, basically. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, by the time I was like a sophomore, I was the backup on the varsity. And then my junior and senior, I started on the varsity. Oh, man, I bet that was great. They, didn't, they never know. really let me play defense. Not mm-hmm. even at, like when I played JV, because I would play half of a JV game my sophomore year. And then I could only play a half. And then they would bring me up for the varsity games the next night. Right. So I played in a few varsity games my sophomore year. I even got a snap my freshman year in the playoffs. Which oh, was wow. the state. So that's what position did you get a snap at? Not quarterback. quarterback really. yeah. yeah. How'd you get a snap as yeah, a freshman? We were touching somebody and coach just put me in and I was supposed to go in and kneel. And then the seniors were like, no, we're running a play. So <laughs> we ran a play. And the first play I ran, I didn't let my wide receivers get set. I was so nervous. And I called you know, for the ball, you know, set hit or whatever. And the receiver wasn't even set. So we got a false start and a fumble. Yeah, it was terrible. Coach was so mad at me. <laughs> and then my sophomore year, we went to state. That team went to state. We lost in the state championship game. And then my sophomore year, we also lost in the state championship game. And I played a little special teams in that. Like just mm-hmm. but it was a fun time. Fun time of life. It was a long time ago now. Like you really think back and look at it. And then How I played, old are you? I'm forty. Yes, I was I was guessing around yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So and then I played college baseball too. That's another thing we have in common. Really? Um, what position did you play in baseball? I played in Kentucky. I played middle infield, short and second. Okay. Where'd you play at? Down in Kentucky. Okay. Um, what, what, what was the college? college NAIA baseball. So right. Lindsey Wilson. Yeah. They're in the Mid-South Conference. Good school. Um, That's quality really, baseball for sure. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I played Division Two at Minnesota Duluth for uh, two years mm-hmm. and then transferred. It was just too cold and mm. uh, I wanted some warmer weather. We were snow blowing in April. And, and then when I moved to Kentucky, we were cutting the lawn in February. So big difference. <laughs> yeah. That's a lifestyle when you play college athletics. It's 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 like for me, it was like waterfowl hunting. It's just like your yeah, identity. It it's just a it's a lifestyle. It is, yeah. Were you playing full year? Like yeah, summer summer ball. Yeah, I played summer ball. Yeah, I mean, it was. I didn't have a weekend to myself for probably 
you know, 15, 18 years by the from when I was like 12 or 13 to until I was done with college. Basically, yeah. I even played my last senior year, my last year after college. I played one more summer after that. Did you have an issue with how to who you were at that poem? And I had that issue uh, where it's like, who am I now? I'm not I'm not I don't play baseball anymore. That was my all my hopes and dreams. Who am I now? And I kind of fell into some bad times. I was a little bummed, um, but I wasn't it wasn't too bad. I coached. I went to school to be a teacher. Like both my high school coaches were teachers. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was I was looking forward to coaching and I was coaching high school ball that time as well. Like right when I got done. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really miss baseball. I still and I coached baseball all the way until about my son was two. He's eight now. So about six years ago. And now I'm coaching him. So that's really fun. And yeah. uh, I just I kind of missed having once I got out of baseball, I was like, ah, man, I just I want my weekends back. You know, like mm-hmm. I didn't have a summer weekend for I mean, I did because I love playing baseball. It was like my sport. Yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, I just I once I was like at the point where college was over, I'm like, you know what? I'm, it's going to be nice to have some some weekends to to myself and just do stuff that I want to do rather than just play baseball all weekend every weekend. I was duck hunting the moment I realized I was done playing baseball. I remember the moment my my dad and I were sitting out there. I remember exactly where we were. I was looking kind of into the sunrise, and I was like, you know what? I think I'm done. It was in between. It was after fall baseball and in that little gap, you know, where you're not really doing anything, and that was it. And it's kind of interesting that it happened. I guess not interesting. It makes sense that it happened in a duck blind. I guess. <laughs> so. Yeah. Now that you look back on it at the time, maybe it didn't make much sense, but yeah. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouthwatering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So anyway, progress, progress on through yeah, so um, with your career. Grandpa, he kind of got me into bow hunting a lot. My stepdad, he was a, a gun deer gun hunter. My dad was a deer gun hunter. Um, so I did a, a lot of gun hunting with them with just deer hunting, which is like a 10 day season, I think in Wisconsin, but everybody in Wisconsin deer hunts. If you hunt, you're probably a deer hunter mm-hmm. uh, like with the gun, with the rifle during gun deer mm-hmm. season. Um, so I kind of did that. My first deer I ever shot was, uh, and if you're watching, do you have a do you have a, a YouTube channel for this? I can't remember. I usually just listen on Spotify. No, I don't have a YouTube channel for this. Okay, so I don't even show it then. Anyway, I shot like a nice ten pointer, um, which was pretty cool. That was the first deer I ever shot, and then my my first deer I shot with a bow was actually with my grandpa and my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, that was pretty cool too. Um, but that was after college, where I really got into bow hunting pretty hardcore for about seven or eight years, I want to say, um, and then. I've always shot archery, like all, even through college, I shot archery just for fun, like, you know, bot leagues and things like that. It was always a pretty good shot. But then once I was done with college, done with school, then I really kind of honed the skill of like shooting the bow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've become a pretty good shot in the last, like, I don't know, 10 years or so. And you hadn't waterfowl hunted at this point? Uh, I went out when I was like 12 with my dad. We went out in the canoe, some Mississippi River backwaters during like early season. Mm-hmm. I shot my first duck when I was like 13 or 14, I want to say. I just kind of swatted it off a creek behind us. We didn't really shoot mm. anything that day, but there were some wood ducks swimming around. I remember shooting that. 
Um, and then, but it, it just didn't. It, you, but you weren't really a waterfowl hunter. Yeah, ne- neither was my dad. My dad wasn't a big waterfowl hunter. My grandpa was a huge waterfowl hunter. He hunted a ton, and he used to take my dad out to the Mississippi River. In fact, a lot of the places we hunt now are the same same areas that my grandpa hunted, which is really cool. And uh, he he kind of got out of his. He got older, got into bow hunting. That's when I got into bow hunting. And then my dad kind of bull hunted a little bit, did a little bit of everything. You know, he didn't really, he was just a hunter. He kind of hunted everything, but didn't have mm-hmm. one thing that he just loved to hunt. And then um, probably, well, it must have been like maybe eight years, maybe like 2016 timeframe. My dad's like, let's go out to Mississippi and duck hunt. I'm like, oh, it's bow season. I want to do that. You know, mm-hmm. so the first year we went out bow hunting or sorry, duck hunting. It was like during the opener. We went out like one or two times that year. I think it was right. once maybe once just for the opener. And I just remember being in the, in the blind and it was chilly out and cold. I'm like, man, this is a perfect morning to shoot a deer. Like there's mm-hmm. definitely deer walking under my tree stand right now. I should be <laughs> bow hunting, like, right. Yeah. So then the next, and then, you know, I, I'd be bow hunting and I wasn't really thinking about duck hunting at all. And then like the next year we like maybe went two or three times. This is probably like 2014, 2015, maybe around mm-hmm. then went two or three times. And it was like, yeah, I should still be bow hunting. I'd bring all my bow hunting stuff with me. We'd duck hunt in the morning, and then I would go find some public land on the bluffs and 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 bow hunt that in the afternoon because I just wanted to be bow hunting. Yeah. Then we had a really good mallard hunt at the end of our third season. It was snowing, just a super snowy day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could you could you couldn't see the treetops. We're in like a little uh, wooded pond. If you ever watched some of my videos, my channel's somewhere in Wisconsin, by the way. I don't know if we mentioned. Right, that. right. Yeah, I but, uh, for not shouting that no, out. Somewhere, somewhere in Wisconsin. Yeah. So we were uh, in this little back river pond in the, in the woods down in the Mississippi, just like backwater stuff. And you couldn't see above the trees. We got like four inches of snow overnight. We had built our blind the day before we shot a bunch of mallards that weekend. Actually the first day we shot like, I think seven of our eight, the next day we shot like five of our eight. And then the third day we knew it was supposed to snow. So we set up our blind and we put like a, we put a piece of burlap over the top of it. Was it just you and your dad? Just me and my dad. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Me and my dad. Yeah. Put a piece of burlap over the top of our blind, and then when we went in there morning, it's like we we're in a little like snow cocoon. So everything was white around us. There was three or four inches of snow on the ground. The water was nice and clear, and uh, or the water was like no snow in the water. Uh-huh. And it, we were out there. We got like five inches of snow. We we're out there hunting in like three or four hours. Yeah. But the birds would fly over, and you'd hear them cackling. Yeah. And you just you just and I wasn't a very good caller at all the time is you know i'd quack and all of a sudden you just hear and then you look up and there'd just be birds dumping into the spread and you'd see them at like 45 50 yards all of a sudden you could finally see them uh-huh. and then they would, just, they would just they splash right in the water it was amazing yeah yeah uh, that was the hunt that really got me addicted to waterfall hunting because <laughs> yeah. I yeah. next year and we probably only shot five or six birds that morning but it was like we had so many birds work in and like yeah. you know didn't get shots off. You could just hear them up there. It was just something yeah, magical about it. Right. It really right. hooked me. And uh, I remember the next year I was bow hunting and all of a sudden I was like, oh, there's a duck. Oh, there's a duck. <laughs> oh, I'm bow hunting. And then I'm thinking I should be duck hunting right now. Oh, there it is. Uh, there it is. Like over that, like a two year span, then it went from bow hunting only to bow hunting and duck hunting a little to about even to duck hunting and then i bow hunted like one time and now i haven't bow hunted in four years so, <laughs> that's how it works of my my waterfall life you know or yeah i had for me i remember the last time i pheasant hunted we we did a morning hunt and we shot a few and we're like you know let's do a morning hunt and then hunt pheasants in the afternoon 
And so we had a little bit of a morning hunt and then we went and had lunch and then we went to the first pheasant field and we walked like half of the field. And I just looked at my dad and like, man, let's, let's go back duck and duck hunt. <laughs> and I've never, that's the last pheasant hunt I've ever been on. It was like 30 minutes. I'm like, let's go. This isn't where I want to be. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't remember what happened at the hunt, but I remember that moment of that feeling of just like, I want to be in the marsh. Yeah. Yeah. I've always been around hunting. So that wasn't really, I mean, like I was, I remember when I was little, like they'd be, my dad and his friends would be cleaning deer out the barn. Like, you know, and one of his, one of our buddies where I shot my first dove or pigeon, I can't remember what it was. Um, they had like a, they were on a regular farm. So they had a nice, like big cooler, like freezer and they would hang the deer in there. And then you you'd go and you'd hang out, you'd grill, you'd fry them up and, and skin them and clean them and butcher them and package them and do all that stuff, you know, for a few hours. And I remember doing all that sort of stuff when I was little, um, yeah. sitting with my grandpa building arrows, but like all that's all stuff that I do now. It's kind of cool how it's been passed along, you know, mm-hmm. over the years. And kind so at what point did you decide that you were going to start recording? Uh, had, to be, had to be shortly after that. So had it was actually, I recorded that weekend where we shot that, or where those ducks were in the snow, but my camera didn't work. I had a cheap camera my cousin gave me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the camera stopped working for that third day, but I have two days of footage in there. Just awful. It's way back on my channel. Probably some of my first duck hunting content Okay, is, is from then. And that was just more of like, I threw a camera out. didn't really know what I was doing. Yeah. And then I probably messaged you after that season mm-hmm. asking questions about, you know, just random YouTube questions probably over the time. Right. right. Um, but I mean, I learned how to edit video from one of my students probably around that same time, mm. which is kind of funny. They did an iMovie on, on the iPad and yeah. they made a commercial for their baseball Academy. I was like, mm-hmm. dude, that's the coolest thing ever. How'd you do that? And then he showed the whole class. And that was like how I learned how to edit video from a, from a fourth grader. Right. So nice. It's kind of cool. Yeah. I used yeah. iMovie the first two seasons of filming. I used iMovie. Yeah. You use iMovie. That's what I used uh-huh. to for quite a long time. Yeah. Uh, I use Premiere Pro now, but I get a little bit of a discount for a teacher. You get a teacher discount. I don't know if mm-hmm. you use Premiere Pro or not. I don't. I use Filmora now. I just don't. I wish. I, I need to upgrade. I yeah. The only problem with Premiere Pro is you got to pay that monthly fee. It's like 29 bucks a month. Yeah. So, But now it's hard to get away from it after paying it for two or three years now. Mm-hmm. Um, with the teacher discount, it's $29 a month. Now, is that just through your district or is that like... No, if you're an if educator, you, you just... I, yeah, I use my district email address to sign up for it. Oh, I'll so, that. 29 a month. Maybe we have to cut this part out. I don't know. <laughs> nah, nah. It's the learning curve that I hate switching things. Is yeah, everything's so I different. Once you get in the groove, it's like you spend so many hours editing that it's hard to switch. Like it's what it's annoying. You use shortcuts, all that stuff. Because when you switch to a new system, it's like the easiest things are hard to find. Like... How That's do you snip problem. a clip? How, how is this yeah. this hard to do this thing that you do a thousand times every right. hour? Yeah, like where, you know, yeah, on my on my device, it's like Command C, Command V, like whatever you're using to cut and trim and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's when I started. <clears throat> it was probably, uh, I must have been 16, 17, somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, and I, I really only post, like if I have a decent hunt, I'll post it. Mm-hmm. there's a lot of hunts that I haven't posted over the years. I just didn't post or forgot to film an intro and outro and just decided, ah, whatever, no big deal. I'm just not going to film today. Yeah. So I probably put out like anywhere from 15 to 25 videos a year mm-hmm. related to duck hunting. I've never understood why you don't get more views. Yeah. For a while I was getting a lot of views. 
But then it was like it got oversaturated and it just kind of died off. I never really took off at that point. So I'm not still. I'm, it does. I it hit ten thousand this year. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me uh, though. But yeah, I'm like, I feel like I post at good times. Yeah. Um, I have some, you know, like I try not to be too clickbaity with my titles. Maybe that's a problem. My thumbnails and stuff like that. I just kind of try. Know, to your thumbnails are pretty good. Usually, I try to pick something that'll like catch somebody's eyes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like even my teal hunts. Like my first teal hunt, I posted my first year. It's got like 28,000 views, good hunt. Mm-hmm. Then my second year got like 12,000 views. And my third year, it's like 14,000 views. Yeah. And like this year, I'm at the, I posted my teal video. Good video. It was actually kind of short, nine minutes long. And well, it's like 7,000 maybe. So I don't know. It's just kind of like, it's kind of interesting. I also it is, feel YouTube is a massive mystery. You I looked what? at my analytics and only 214 subscribers watched, like, watched it from the subscription feed. I don't know if that's common or not, but I thought that was odd. Yeah, I don't look at that particular analytic. I typically I like to look at click through um rate. Yeah. I like to look at how long people are staying on the video yeah. and when they're jumping off of the video. Yeah, look at that. You know, those types of things. But typically, I kind of stop. What is your like click through rate typically on a video? On a really good video, like today's video that started at nineteen percent. Yeah. And and I've had some that start at twenty four, twenty five percent, but and then they they go down over, you know, over time they go down. Um, and some of them will end up at nine, ten percent. That's really, really good. Okay. Yeah, um, mine are if, mine. if the click through rate starts out at like 10, 12 percent, I know that oh, that video is not going anywhere. Interesting, but the more people that watch it, that click through rate will really dive because if they start it, spreading out to bigger audience, then the click through rate's going to, yeah, bottom out. But yeah, my click through rates don't, don't change that much. It'll come out at like so, like this video that I just posted, which I thought it had a good thumbnail. Had like nine and a half, ten percent click through rate, which is decent. At what but time? Of the five video? days later, it's the same. Still nine and a half percent. Huh. So I don't know. There's got to be yeah, some so. something I'm missing, but I don't. I don't know what it is. I stopped worrying about analytics because it was becoming so frustrating. I would think I, I was caring too much about how they were doing, and I had to take a step back and just be like, I started posting these videos because I love filming it, I love watching yeah. it, I love sharing it with other people. I'm not mm-hmm. going to be all pissed off. And there's still times like, man, I thought that video would do better. Why isn't that video? But it's like, I've gone through times where for like a month and a half, I just feel really pissed off and negative. And I don't want to be yeah. in that. I don't want to be in that zone. Yeah. And I'm in a pretty good place now. I mean, if it doesn't do great, I'm still kind of like annoyed by it, but not like there's a difference between just being a little annoyed that I think it should have done better. And just being like, really have that yeah. negative energy about it. Right. You know. Yep. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of, yeah, I just, I don't really care that much about my views at this point. I just kind of post them cause I like to post them mm-hmm. and uh, however they do, they do. I'm, you know, you make, you know, a couple hundred bucks, few hundred bucks a month for me and during the season and right. just a little gas money to help it a little easier. But yeah, I don't really, for a while I really did. I tried to like post at a specific time. Now it's like, you know what, just I'll post it around before dinner time and we'll yeah. see how it goes. You know, I, on like a day where not a lot. I try to like post on a day where like a bunch of other people aren't posting videos. So yeah. I'll look and see if there's like five or six videos out in a day that, you know, mm-hmm. like you guys posted or, or uh, anybody else, then I'll just like, okay, I'll hold off. Cause I try to follow all of them, you know, mm-hmm. just so mm-hmm. I'm aware of what's going on. Yeah. And if there's like two or three posts, I'm like, okay, I'll post this one today. Boom. And send it out. Yeah. I feel like I have a little better success with that, but right. So when you guys are listening, check out someone with Wisconsin because they're really good videos. Um, and they're certainly, if you like YouTube videos, they're, it's worthy to be on your subscribing list for sure. Yeah. So talk about 
how much has you, it seems like your success has gone up and I don't watch every single one of your videos and everything, but I keep an eye on, you know, how you're doing, how your season's progressing. And it seems like you've been more successful the last two or three years than previous. Is that, is that accurate? Is you becoming more and more successful over time? Uh, a little, but I also feel like I had more views about three years ago. Mm-hmm. And even though my content I feel is better now, just the the cameras are better. I'm able to crop in more with the GoPro. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I mean, I'm sorry. I meant, I meant like in your actual hunting oh. success. Oh, my hunting success. Like the number of birds yeah. you're killing and the number of really good hunts you're getting on. I'm sorry. I would clear. say, yeah, I think I've hunted a lot more too. That helps. And just, I've known, I've learned new areas to hunt. Um, that's made a big difference as far as like the number of birds I'm, I'm killing. A big difference too, is I have some, a good network of friends like around the area right now where yeah. I live um, in Southeastern Wisconsin. And there's like five or six of us that we have quite a few fields. So like any of my goose hunting mm-hmm. fields, things like that, those are all typically private. If I'm hunting geese in a field, anything, anytime I'm hunting in a field, it's probably a private field. But like I have five or six fields. Another buddy has eight or nine. Another buddy has four or five. So around, you know, this general area of 20 minutes around my house, we have a lot of fields yeah. that we're able to hunt pretty much whenever we want. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some of them are kind of like public because the farmer will say yeah to everybody. So you still got to yeah. get a little bit early and things like that. But we have a good scouting network. Usually on a weekend, we can get on a good hunt somewhere, whether mm-hmm. it's geese or ducks yeah. and geese. Um, last year, we had this just awesome spot, flooded farm field. It was flooded for a couple of years. And uh, it flooded into a cornfield and the farmer could never cut the corn. So it was like two-year-old, three-year-old corn, but it was still standing in this. And I only hunted it a few times. I like to just scope out public land. I like to kind of free range it and go all over and mm-hmm. hear new stuff and not be like contained to a certain spot. But my buddies hunted a lot and they shot a lot of ducks out of the same spot two days a week. And every weekend they just were shooting six, seven-man limits out of this one spot. Wow. Small. It was just really weird. I thought for sure they were going to burn it up and they... They never did. I mean, they shot them every, I had like two hunts in there. I want to say, um, on my channel, one was like a mixed bag and flooded corn and maybe it was called. And then there's another one that will come out, uh, on the 19th. That's from that same spot, but really cool spot. Kind of, uh, kind of, uh, closer to like town, like center of town or whatever. But Mm -hmm. it was just, they, they really, they just hammered them in there all year. They, and they, they never burned it up, which I don't understand how that worked, but. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, but yeah, we. I mean, that's helped. And then I have a couple other buddies too who are public who are willing to share some information. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially out on the Mississippi, I don't really have a great idea of what birds are like because I live three and a half hours from there. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, what will happen is if I don't get into, like, I have a friend named Chase. He, um, not me, Chase, but a different Chase. He lives out on the Mississippi. And I'll just be like, "Hey, buddy, have you seen any birds flying around? What's the word? You know, are there are there is there any sort of migration?" never really ask them for spots or anything like that, but just really curious on bird numbers. Cause I know if there's birds migrating and if we sit our spots, we're going to shoot birds. Right. Um, so we're not really s- scouting birds. We're more of just, if there's migrators, we can probably shoot them in this, in these areas that we, that we do hunt out there. As, as long as we have the North winds and, or, or a South wind right after a North, you know, we're mm-hmm. usually pretty decent and, and can have some good hunts out there. So really just kind of learning that sort of stuff. If we get weather up North, I'm going to be at the Mississippi river. Like, Anywhere from Canada, northern Minnesota, the Dakotas with a northwest wind. I know for sure that if there's snow and heavy snow and wind, I need to be on the river like as soon as I can because within the next day or two, the birds are going to show up. Right. 
So I've learned that quite a bit too in the last couple of years. Whereas normally we would just go out there and hope the best. Yeah. That area has always intrigued me. And it's, it's now I'm marking off the sand hills as I'm hunting that with Matt this year. So that's going to get marked off my bucket list. So the upper Mississippi may be number one on my bucket list. Well, uh, if you ever get slow time, now our season closes. When's your slow time? In, in what? In no, right, right, was slow time. There is no That's slow true. time. <laughs> we open well, up September one and we close mid February, and it's not, never a close moment. Like earlier, though, don't you have like? Aren't you like slow in late October, November? Is no, that a hard get, time to hunt ducks or no? No, man. We're we're in October. We get gadwalls, widgeon, okay. pintails. We still That's get blue awesome. wings. So I mean, we're never. We're only slow where the weather can make us be slow. We can't predict it. So if we if we get a fresh front. Lately, early December has been slow, but you know, if you get a nice front and then you don't get another one for three weeks, that week two and three is going to be really, really stale and slow. So it's, gotcha. all our slow points are just weather dependent. We get a steady stream. Yeah. Our best times on the river, uh, late October, last week in October, all the way through like the second to third week in November. Mm-hmm. And then depending on the weather and the migration, it could be good all the way until the end of our season in December out there. But other, there's been times where I've gone out there. Uh, last weekend in November, first weekend in December, where we have gone there and not seen a bird the entire weekend. It's like, how is there not a bird on the Mississippi River right now? Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting, like at least in our area that we hunt, mostly. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Now, you could probably go somewhere and shoot divers and stuff. Uh, like pool pool 9 and 10 are good for divers. Mm-hmm. But we don't have a lot of divers. I like divers. I think if I was you, I would be prepared for that. I do not like, I always say I'm not a kill dependent hunter and Jordan helped me realize that I'm not a, I am a kill dependent hunter, but I don't need a lot of kills. What I, what I can't stand is no ducks in the sky all day. I've got no tolerance for it. That's brutal. Uh, Yeah, that's brutal. I've been better about moving and finding a different spot. Like if we Mm -hmm. see nothing in the morning, like we're going somewhere else. We can't just sit here tomorrow and wing it. Yeah. Uh, But we give me birds in the sky and a couple birds in the bag. I'm good. Yeah, um, depending on expectations, but you know, I only need a few. You know, if we're hunting a field and a big feed with goose, usually we expect like a ten man minute limit or an eight man limit or something. Because mm-hmm. usually, if we're on them like that, they're gonna they're gonna we have a big enough spread. We have you know like twenty dozen full body decoy spread we throw out, mm-hmm. and we can lay out hunt, we can a frame hunt. We can, it doesn't matter how we hide. We have every way we can possibly hide. We hide. So yeah. what's interesting about my channel, I feel like, is I do a lot, little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. I hunt big lakes. I hunt marshes. I hunt Mississippi River. I hunt Mississippi River backwaters. I hunt rice. I hunt cornfields. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I hunt right. pretty much everything, mm-hmm. um, which I think is is kind of cool because a lot of people you watch, they're only hunting water or they're mm-hmm. only hunting fields. And I just feel like, especially late in the season, once duck season's closed, I'll 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 hunt geese every day if I can. But I'm a ducks first kind of guy. So if there's yeah. ducks in the field, yeah, I'll try it. But I would rather almost a lot of times go chase them around on public land and see if I can find something to hunt that way. Yeah, I'm definitely a water guy. I don't have yeah. a lot of interest in ag fields. Um, yeah. I won't watch an ag field video. In you l- won't? Not even mine? <laughs> no. You should, I, watch my, you should watch my last my – it was my dad's last waterfall hunt, actually. This is a good segue into yeah. my dad a little bit. but I'd be happy uh, to watch that. It was his very last waterfall hunt, um, mm. and it was – this last January, my dad, we didn't know my dad was sick when he, when we found out he was sick. Um, he had complained a little bit about like some breathing stuff, but he had pneumonia a few years ago. But anyways, this was his last, um, 
was his last waterfall hunt in a field late season, Wisconsin, uh, right after the uh, split, like uh, goose season closed for like two weeks going up to around the holiday, around the holidays. Mm -hmm. So this was like the first day it opened back up. And we just, I think we shot 45 birds in five bands or something like that. It was a bigger hunt. Started with like 14 guys and then some of us went back out and there was like eight or nine of us that went back out again. Oh my gosh. The chance but, uh, of getting me in a 14 guy hunt is like, you'd have to, yeah, you'd have to pay me money. But we were you'd shooting sides. So if the birds are on the Doesn't left, matter. left, I would shoot birds on the yeah. right. <clears throat> yeah. Um, it's fine. I, I don't have a problem with other people doing it. I just have zero interest. Yeah. No, I feel Well, that. I do have a problem with some, I won't, I won't blink and say I don't have a problem with people doing it. I, I don't have a problem with, with if people do it in a controlled way where someone's in charge and in control. Yeah. It's no problem, but there are times in which, like, I'm not going to go into the story now, but there was a group hunters this weekend that shot way over their limit, got tickets, were acting like jackasses. And it's like, you know, there's certain people that have no business being the leader of those things. You have to have a good, solid leader. Someone, you know, in that scenario, if you want to do it, you go for it. If you're just a bunch of kids, experienced hunters. Right. Right, so it right. makes it more enjoyable that way. I mean, look, when I showed up, I was not thrilled with 14 guys, but it yeah. was also like a 2000 bird feed and we, in Wisconsin, you can shoot five each during late season. Yeah. Um, so it was like, we were just trying to do as much damage as we possibly could that weekend, I think, or that day. I'm going to go on a, uh, I'll probably at some point with Aiden and Jake, I will try to get into one of their like seven, eight man mallard hunts just because I, I can't just keep running my mouth about it if I've never even done it. <laughs> You know what I mean? That's not yeah. right. It's the that's just, just becomes me being like an old stingy, yeah, bastard. <laughs> the duck hunting's a little harder because they're faster. Like geese, they come in so slow. Yeah, you know they set up. It's like all right, left side, you're gonna shoot them, and then left side shoots them. You know, or yeah. misses them. In this video, the left side missed a lot. We were giving a lot of grief to the left side. <laughs> but it was pretty. It was a pretty fun right. video, and it wasn't so my back, dad's. Back to your, I want to go back to your dad for a second because I yeah. want to sit on this for a little bit. So, um continue on with, with what, what happened and how that progressed. And yeah. So my dad, like two years ago, he had pneumonia, had a hard time breathing since then. Really? Um, he was a smoker. Um, and he never really, especially the last two years, didn't, wasn't really breathing that well. Mm-hmm. Um, this year I noticed him a few times. He just didn't want, there were several hunts where it was like, if the walk was a little too far and this is not like my dad, he would walk mm-hmm. as far as he needed to and through the nasty yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, as a 64 year old, 65 year old, he, um, he just wouldn't, uh, he would never say no. Like he would always do it. And last year there was a few hunts like, I'm not walking into there. I'm like, all right, well, I won't go then too. We'll go hunt somewhere else out of the boat. Um, and it was like some easy walking. Like we, our, our field, that one spot that we had on the private land where they hammered the ducks all year, it was maybe like a 300 yard walk. And he's like, I don't want to do that. So I wasn't like suspicious or didn't know or anything like that, but I just assumed he was just having issues with his breathing and just didn't want to do it. I was feeling tired. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he never really looked into it anymore either. So that part of it's probably yeah. his fault. So I just encourage people, if you're having a hard time and something doesn't seem right, just go to the doctor, talk to him. Right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so last day of school here was like June 7th or so, somewhere around there in Wisconsin here. And um, about two weeks before or a week and a half before that, my dad had fallen in the middle of the night. He thought he like woke up and like tripped over something and fell in his head and got a concussion and just didn't remember it. And it turns out that he likely had a seizure, um, mm. probably at probably in the middle of the night. And he probably never even got up out of bed. He probably just rolled out of the bed during the seizure and he didn't wake up for like 
Yeah, it was like the next day at four o'clock, his neighbor wow. came and knocked on the door who he hung out with all the time. And he he was kind of confused and a little bit like didn't really know what was going on, had a headache. So that's when he assumed like he fell, woke up in the middle of the night, tripped, fell, hit his head, just had a concussion and just finally yeah. woke up. Mm-hmm. Um, he noticed there was like his shin was cut a little bit and things like that. So he thought he had a concussion. So finally about a week later, my sister's like, he still had a headache. She's like, just go to the doctor and get it looked at. Like, you know, like my sister was like, you need to go. We're going. She took him to the doctor. Well, turns out he had a golf ball sized tumor in the back of his brain, brain tumor. Oh, man. And likely it was only there from when he, like the two weeks prior, like it probably just started wow. within a week or two after that is according to the surgeon. He said it grows really fast, blah, blah, blah. But it was, um, we found out that it was a metastasized from a lung cancer. So his, his breathing in his lung, he had lung cancer. Um, and he had a tumor in his lung actually that had colla- partially collapsed his lung. Never went to the doctor for it. Um, partially collapsed that lung. And then that metastasized to the brain. They removed the brain tumor um, probably around mid-June, maybe about a week after school was out. And he was at home for about three weeks. And we hadn't even met with oncology yet to figure out next steps because they wanted to get the tumor out of the brain, just kind of take care of that before he moved on with anything else. Right. Instead of they would have left the brain tumor, it would have been about, I don't know, six months, you know, before it's all he would have had if they would have left the brain tumor in there. Mm-hmm. So he was home for about three weeks, pretty much fully recovered, but he had lost vision in his like peripherally in his left eye. Mm-hmm. So he couldn't see like, I don't know, 45 degrees to his left. He couldn't see it. Um, and so he couldn't drive. He couldn't, uh, couldn't have been able to hunt this year, but then about, I don't know. So three or four weeks, uh, the neighbor just found him passed away on the floor in his mm-hmm. house, right, right by his couch. So I don't know if he sat up and tipped over or, yeah. or what. So they, the, you know, they said it was just from the, from cancer, basically right. from the lung cancer right. and it was just kind of natural causes based on the cancer. So that's kind of how that happened. It was yeah. very fast. I mean, from when we found out he had cancer until he had brain surgery until he passed away was, less than a month it was like wow three and a half weeks i want to say so you had no time to emotionally prepare well he passed away july 8th so it was a month and a day since we found out yeah how long ago was this this was uh what do you mean like how how was this two months ago four months ago Oh, he passed away on july 8th yeah so you're still you're still just dealing with yourself i mean this is fresh for you yeah very fresh um hunting season the scouting season wasn't that easy kind of stinks He was always, you know, I'm going scouting. He's like, I'm coming with you. Yeah. Um, same thing. You, you feel his absence. Yeah, you do. Yeah, I do a lot. I do a yeah. lot. You know, and we we talked almost every day about Brewers. Uh, we're both big Brewer fans. Mm-hmm. During the football season, we would text and call during Packer games when we weren't mm-hmm. together. With that, so the road yeah. trips out to Mississippi, we'd always call and shoot the shoot the shit for an hour or whatever. Sorry, I don't yeah. know if I can say it on there. But That's right. yeah, we would, uh, you know, we would, we'd always be talking. And so it's definitely going to be a loss that I'll feel probably more so as the season goes on, this right. fall goes on here. Right. Um, but I'm really thankful that I got to spend the last five or six or seven years with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just had a great time hunting. He had literally probably the best waterfall season of his life this last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think his last four hunts he went on were all, like we had the 45 and five hunt that was bands. He shot his limit one short of his limit of mallards. We shot 11 mallards. His last duck hunt on the Mississippi or on the, uh, his last duck hunt on water, his last duck hunt on the Mississippi river. We shot 
we had a new hunter with us and we shot a three man. It was, there was four of us. Um, we shot three short of a four man on the Mississippi river, green wings and, and, uh, mallards mostly. And then, uh, a week before that we shot a three man limit in a flooded, some flooded grass on the marsh. It was like, yeah, all these last times he hunted all these places were just like unbelievable hunts. And his very last hunt, I remember him saying, uh, we had all these geese coming in and landing all around us, like all over the place. And I don't remember if I put it in the video or not, because obviously I didn't know he was going to get sick, but he was like, this is the greatest thing ever. I've never seen anything like this in my entire life. <laughs> that was one of the uh, last things that I remember him saying. Yeah. Um, re related to waterfowl. Yeah. Um, That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And after, <laughs> after his brain surgery in the hospital, he was all hopped up on whatever pain meds they give him in there, right? Because it's just right. had this big brain surgery, like a scar. It's probably a 20 inch scar all the way around the back of his head to get the brain tumor out. But he's sitting in the blind. He's like, take them. And he's like faking, faking like he's shooting ducks. <laughs> and, the, and the ladies, the, the nurse came in. He's like, give me my shotgun. Like he's just, being <laughs> and she's like, everything okay? I'm like, yeah, he's just, he's pretending he's duck on my thing. It was pretty funny. It was hilarious. Yeah. But yeah. That's great. But uh, wow. yeah, so. It's, it's definitely been uh, a hard, you know, like the summer wasn't very pleasurable. His yeah. last, um, the last time I saw him actually was two days before he passed away. My son Beckett, he's eight. He had a basketball camp and he would go uh, to, he would go out to, um, so I take him to this basketball camp. It's like 35 minutes from my house, two times a week. It was like a six week long basketball camp. And it was after his surgery, it was like, he was starting to feel better, but me and Becca would stop at his house every Tuesday, every Thursday. We'd take him grocery shopping or just do stuff around the house, whatever he needed, hang out for a little while. And uh, the Thursday before he called us at like seven in the morning, he's like, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm taking Beckett to basketball. He's like, I know. Are you going to pick me up? Because I want to come and watch Beckett. I was like, all right, that's cool. Yeah, we'll pick you up. It's, he lives about 40 minutes from me. But it was like 10 minutes from where Beckett was, Beckett's practice was, our uh, camp was, so. We pick them up and um, my family's big basketball family. They, they run this program called 24 up in Wisconsin. And, okay. and um, so all of my cousins like are there, like their kids are there. Well, he got to see like, you know, a couple of his, his uh, nieces that day and a uh, bunch of nephews and nieces and stuff too. So, or not, not like great nephews and nieces. Is that what they're called? Like my cousin's kids, like his, his nephews. Yeah. He'd be like a great uncle, right? Right, I guess. I don't know. We saw a bunch of them that day, but it was really nice for him to get out. He wanted to come out. And then, you know, two days later, he ended up passing away. But mm -hmm. it was really cool that, that he uh, called that morning because otherwise we would have just stopped over afterwards. It would have been like any other normal day, but got to come watch Rebecca play a little basketball and That's see great. a bunch of family members and things like right. that. Yeah. Well, That's sure. It. I'm sorry that you had to go through that. I can't imagine how difficult that was and continues to be for you, but maybe just try to really make this a memorable year year where you really think about how much that relationship meant. Hopefully you can pass it on with you and your son. Yeah. That tradition can, can, can move into a, a, a new, new mold for you as you maybe introduce your son in the videos and bring him up and it can be like that transition. Yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So yeah, I have two videos of him coming out. Uh, not necessarily him. It wasn't intended for that. Like I said earlier, but mm -hmm. It's uh, I have a his last duck hunt on water, and then I have his last Mississippi River hunt. So I'll probably yeah. come out with those before our season cool. starts in October. Fantastic! 
Can't wait. Yeah. To, fantastic. Can't wait to see those. Yeah. So. And uh, hopefully we're going to try to get Beckett out this weekend if he's interested. He's only eight. So it's kind of hard yeah. to convince him to wake up at four o'clock in the oh, morning really? and go for an hour long yeah. car ride. Yeah. But we're going to try to get him out and water swat a wood duck on the water this weekend. We'll see. What nice. Happens. Nice. Hopefully you guys can get this done. So I, one more thing I want to talk about before sure. we do, I do want to hit another partner is final approach. Have you had a chance to look at the lineup of final approach? Uh, no, I haven't. I haven't looked too much at their their actual decoys and stuff. But yeah. we use their. Um, I use their sub. Is it sub X three or X three mm-hmm. sub? I use yeah, their I do too. Yeah, we use yeah. that a lot. Yeah, it's a great product. You know, when I started working with them, and I didn't talk a lot about them last year. I was just kind of getting to know their products. It's just really, really quality stuff. Their decoys. Those guys, um, the Rogers guys and Josh. I mean, they're all have their hands in all this stuff, and and they're they've revamped the whole the whole company with all their equipment once, once they kind of bought it over and, and people need to go check it out. It's fabrand.com. If you have not ever seen FA's lineup, go and check it out because I don't think you'll be disappointed from the clothes to the decoys, to the bags, to everything. They've got a great lineup of stuff. So, yeah. so check that. I remember if you need a duck call, the ones I'm using, and this is year number two is Ducklander calls, Bobby Hayes's company, ducklandercalls.com. I've got a whole podcast series with Bobby and then he is an expert when it comes to waterfowl hunting and when it comes to calls. And for that, the product code is in a W 23. Um, and actually the product code for FA, I forgot is FDH 10. It's a 10% off for that, for that. So both of those are 10% off for Ducklander calls in a W 23 and final approach, final, fabrand.com it's fdh10 for 10 percent off so go check those out so speaking of products let's get into your product let me give you a quick review well tell everyone what it is and then i'll i used it for the first i've used it for two weekends in a row uh, and i haven't talked about it on any of my videos yet which i will show that to my audience but i kind of want to use it a little bit so tell us about the product real quick and I'm, then i'll give you kind of my impression of after using it yeah, no pressure on on sharing it either. That's just kind of up to you if you want to share it. I know how it is, you know, having a channel or whatever. But um, I came out with uh, basically it's it's nothing um, that's really that groundbreaking. It's essentially it's a small dry bag and it's to hold your shotgun shells. So hunting out of a sled, hunting out of uh, standing water, hunting in mud and and in a boat with a dog that's always shaking. Um, I was always looking for a way to keep my my shells dry. I've used um, I've used uh, Ziploc bags. I've used big dry bags that were just too big or bright colors or whatever. I've used the old money bag from like Bass Mafia where you can store all your like, um, baits in them and things like that. I've used, uh, plastic bags just that you get from the grocery store. Mm-hmm. I've used the boxes, right? And it just like nothing really worked how I wanted it to work. It was either too big, the wrong color, not, not, uh, the right size and so on and so forth. So I kind of went on a mission about two years ago and, I started like looking up um, like different size and product bags. So I got a couple samples. I got some some uh, smaller sample sizes of, of dry bags and I got some medium size and some bigger ones. And I eventually settled on like the, the bag that I'm using now, which is just, we I call it my shoddy shell pouch and the company's called shoddygear.com or the company's called shoddy gear um, as in like shotgun gear. So shoddy gear. And uh, yeah, I came out with these, these, pouches that are basically, they hold your shells. Pretty simple, um, but I feel like I, I'm selling them at an, a reasonable price. So what's interesting is I came out, I had the idea and I came out with this product and I was using the samples with my buddies 
And then another company or two came out with them like a few months before I actually decided to come out with them, but I already had my LLC and all this stuff. But I was surprised at how high they were priced. They were priced way too high for what they were. It's a simple product. And my goal was to give them to hunters at a price that I felt personally was fair to pay for them. So what are you selling them for? Well, that's what, that was my mission. So my pouch is, um, it's a, it's about the size, um, of, I don't know how big to explain it. Basically it can hold 50 12 gauge shells, three inch Mm -hmm. shells. Um, if you really cram them in there, I usually throw like a box and a few more in and it works out perfect. But I sell each pouch for $12 basically. And then you have to pay shipping. If you put three in your cart on my website right now, at least for a little while longer, um, you put three in your cart, I sell them at $10 each. And so it's three for 30 plus shipping. So it ends up being about three for 36 bucks. And that's basically what you would pay for one at some of the other companies um, that Mm. that have them out right now. So that's kind of, that was my goal was to come out with the color I liked or the colors that aren't like bright blue, bright yellow, bright orange. It was hard to find them. Couldn't find them actually. And then um, just get them at a price that I would want to pay because I was looking for them for years, but I wasn't going to pay the prices that, other companies were charging for them, at least not right. for what they were, you know? Yeah. So yeah, this is just a basic dry bag. You can roll it out. It's a roll top dry bag. It's got a plastic buckle on it. Um, and it's waterproof. Uh, and it's you, got a clip on it too. That really, that, so it's yep. got a clip on it. So if you're in an, an A-frame or stand-up line or whatever, and, and you have a little thing, you can clip it too. And it hangs, which is really, really important. Yeah. It's really, really it's important. Got a or on your weight or something, you know? Yeah, it's got a D loop on it too. So if you put a uh, like a, a beaner on it or something from your decoys, you yeah. can hold, you can clip it on your blind that way as well, or on a tree branch or whatever. Um, but really, the goal was just to to keep your shells dry. Basically, in a sled is where I had the biggest issue because your sled always gets wet. Or hunting around Taylor, my dad's dog, which is right behind me, um, hunting around him, everything would get wet. Like you know how it is when you hunt with a dog, especially if you're in a layout boat or a kayak. Yeah. Um, you throw it in the bottom of your blind, you fold it over, and you're not going to get a drop of water in there which is really nice. Yeah. That's kind of why I came out with them and why I started using like dry bags years ago. They were just too yeah. big, wrong color, too expensive, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I always used, I would always would take 24 shells with me. That's what I always take because, you know, when you used to buy a pair of neoprene waders, you would get the little neoprene shell holder that yep. would attach on there and it held 24 shells, a row of two twelves. And so that's what I always used. I had one, my dad had one. And so before each hunt, I would have to go and fill those with 24. And that's all we ever take is 24. And inevitably, those things get wet almost every single hunt. And at the end of the hunt, you had to do one of two things. Well, you would either do one of two things. You would leave them in there. And if you left those shells in there one time, they rust. One time. A week in those, they're going to have rust on them. Or you have to take them all out of that neoprene little shell holder and lay them out, let them dry feed it back in there. And I, I guess I never realized what a pain in the ass process that was for me. And so that's, this has just number one, my shells don't get wet. I've been on three hunts now with this. My shells don't get wet. I just keep that little bag. They're just laying beside me in the sled or whatever. They just don't get wet. And after I'm done with the hunt, I don't have to mess with it. I don't have to worry about airing those shells out. Yeah. And I, I so before a hunt, I just take a box of shells. Now I hold the pouch open. I take the box, dump it in. Boom. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yep. That's kind of how they were intended. The only thing I would suggest though, if you do get a pouch is if it is in your blind bag after the hunt, just open it up. So if mm-hmm. there is any moisture from your hand that gets in there, if your hands yeah. are wet, you reach in okay. just to let a little bit of that moisture out. Um, yeah. I'm actually coming out with a, 
uh, an upgraded pouch. I'm going to call it my elite pouch, so to speak. It's slightly bigger. Uh, the base is a little bit bigger. Um, the, the base is probably more of like a pie plate size on my new pouch. My old one is probably more of like um, a small bowl size, like mm -hmm. a kid's bowl, right? That's probably about the yeah. size of the bottom of the bag. Um, my new one's just slightly bigger. Um, and Elliot, I think you'll like this one. I'll get one to you once I get this is my sample right here, but I know mm -hmm. you can see it on the screen right now. But I added a, a loop to the back. It's got metal buckles instead of plastic buckles. Oh, okay. Right. Um, and then it's got a roll top just like the other one, but we mm -hmm. also have some magnets right here on the inside. Oh, beautiful. So it, it holds clothes like that. And then on oh, the inside, beautiful. on the inside of the pouch, we have um we have a little uh sorry, this, this is a gift from my a bunch of bands. They got my dad's pouch. <laughs> so, let me dump it's, a it's a band pouch. Yeah, look at all your bands. Right. But anyways, sorry for all that obnoxious noise. Inside of there, I have a little spot for um, a moisture absorption packet. Wow. So, um, I can eventually have those branded. I probably won't have them branded to start, mm -hmm. but we will have some moisture. You know, like the silica packets, you can recharge right. them. Yep. So they last a certain amount of time and you can recharge them and then uh, you're, you're good with that. So that's the that's the newest pouch. That'll be out hopefully by October, but there's been some delays on it. Um, that'll come out with this olive color and like a grayish kind of a hunting gray color. So are you going to come out with that in the smaller bags too or only the bigger bags? Uh, only the bigger bags. So that'll be like my elite bag. Those will sell for like 23, 24 bucks. I'm not sure yet yeah. on price. Yeah. And then the smaller ones, I am going to add just a loop to the back. Mm -hmm. uh, probably with my next batch. My new batch is coming tomorrow. It should be here. I have 1200 bags on the way. Mm -hmm. And then my next one after that should be, um, it'll be, it'll have a loop on the back. Okay. So that yeah. will just be, so you can hang it just a different way in your blind if you want. To. Right. But, um, and the materials yeah. it's used to, you, you, you didn't go with the cheap material. I don't feel like those are going to get slits in them. It's a, no, it's a nice I mean, The only way really is if you actually abuse it by accident, or maybe if one of the seams give, now I've used um, my original pouch that I came with or that I originally bought is a little bit thinner material. Um, and I actually went to the HD version of my pouch yeah. last at the beginning of this year. So like my, all my new pouches besides my first hundred that I ordered that gave the buddies and then sold like 60 of them. Mm -hmm. um, those are a little thinner material. And what I noticed after about two years, sometimes this plastic, this part can kind of dry out and crack or if it'll, it'll, Something will happen like on a seam right there, but mm -hmm. they last a good two years easily. Um, those pouches, these I've only had for about a year now, and these have been working really yeah. well. I like I actually ones. use They're dry bags like Earth Pack back in the day. Mm -hmm. I use their dry bags, and I've had some of those for six, seven, eight years, and it's the same material. That's yeah, like it's a good material. I, I, I like that about the material. So, if if you, how you hold your shells and how you keep your shells is annoying, or if your shells are getting wet, then absolutely check this out. They 100% have my stamp of approval. I'll never go back to the way I did it before ever. Yeah, I didn't realize how much how big of an issue I had. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I mean, I just started like I used um, like a five liter bag for years, but it wouldn't fit in my blind bag. The nice thing mm -hmm. about these is pretty small. Right, you can just fold them up and they fit right in your. That's why I like bag. that. I won't go to the elite bag. I love that small one because I only carry 25 shells. I don't ever, right. I don't ever bring more than that. Ever. Exactly. And I'll sell. Um, I will sell some of those moisture packets. So like, even if you want to take it and just throw it in your bag, just you drop know, it in there. Yeah, it just yeah. won't have the sleeve in there. That's yeah. kind of holding it in place. Well, we'll see what kind of moisture issues I have. Uh, yeah. They, they may not, it just may not be an issue. Right. I yeah. So, and then I write, you know, like you can write, um, if you shoot more than one gun or if you shoot several guns, 
I offer four colors right now. I have a black, uh, like a forest green, and then I have a slate gray. And then I also oh. have a white for any of the late season snow goose hunters. I have a small mm-hmm. order of those coming. I have like 300 of those coming out with this next batch when I get them. Um, but yeah. And then I also just kind of, I write my shot size, um, oh, right, on my right there. So yeah. A couple of Good them. Yeah. You just write your shot size right in the pouch and, and then you could use that for that and another pouch for other stuff. Great and, idea. Yeah. Fantastic. So that's that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I really appreciate you coming on here. We've never had a chance to sit down and talk and I just really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was fun. Quite honestly, it's, just, it's basically the same conversation you and I would have just sitting around a campfire, which is what I love about the podcast yeah. stuff. It's, I agree. it's like yeah. I do outlines for some of the episodes and some a lot of them. I'm just like, you know what? I don't need an outline to sit around and just BS about duck hunting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, it's not hard to just talk about stuff you're passionate about, stuff you like. Absolutely not. Things Absolutely like not. that. So. so, guys, check out his channel somewhere in Wisconsin. And you on Instagram, you're somewhere in Wisconsin at Instagram. Oh, yeah, I'm uh, somewhere in Wisconsin on Instagram, somewhere in Wisconsin on Facebook, um, YouTube, and I'm sh- uh, also and TikTok. So mm-hmm. you can find somewhere in Wisconsin there. And then I'm also, if you look me up at shoddygear.com, that's where our pouches are sold online. Um, usually they ship out within a day or two at the most. It's like, you know, you'll have them within three or four days. That's kind of what I try to do. Um, and then uh, Shoddy Gear uh llc on instagram shoddy gear official on tiktok and <laughs> that might be all of them i don't know i'm also on facebook shoddy gear for water followers it's a little facebook group we have I someone's just like, sitting there with a little notebook first and release is there yeah. like mad yeah exactly go. somebody's Ooh. getting in a car accident while driving right now because <laughs> trying to write down all the information but yeah, yeah. shoddygear.com that's right, the best one for, for well, that. I will be keeping an eye on your season. Hopefully it's a successful one, and I'm sure we'll talk again. Until next time, this has been another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast.